This is the Miller Report with Suzanne Miller on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And now, here's Suzanne Miller. Welcome to the Miller Report. I'm Suzanne Miller. The Miller Report is a weekly podcast sponsored by WABC. We talk to business leaders, power players, CEOs about real estate because real estate is the lifeblood of any city, particularly ours. Today, I have a guest that I think all of you will be interested in hearing from. He is an owner of the New York City-based supermarket, Morton Williams, who employs 1,200 people. His focus includes managing relationships with landlords, banks, unions, and technology. He has also been the deputy mayor of Westport, Connecticut. That's like my favorite, my favorite town. Westport's my favorite. And is an alumni at Columbia University. Welcome Avi Kaner to the Miller Report. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so my pleasure. I was I was saying earlier that you've done a lot of these. This isn't your first go around. Um, one or two, and maybe maybe you can move to Westport as well, so <laughs> we can make that the New Hamptons. Right. I would like that. Avi, you've had such an extensive background in business and politics. It's really great, and, and you've been a great friend. And and thank you for coming here. I know you co-led numerous trips to Israel. I'm Jewish, and are actively developing relationships with the Gulf states and North Africa. You are the co-founder and principal of the Samuel Foundation. Tell us, what is that? Samuel Foundation is an organization fostering relationships between uh, the Jewish people, the state of Israel, and the Arab countries that surround Israel. And it's all about creating trust and loyalty in future relationships. And it's going very well. As you've seen, the Abraham Accords have been announced between Bahrain, United Arab Emirates, Morocco, and Israel. Uh, There are other nations lined up. The big one is Saudi Arabia. Wow. And we're really hoping that may come next. If that comes next, everyone else will follow. I don't know if you could say this, but what is the economic benefit for a nation to join? Uh, The economic benefit spans many, many levels. There's the people-to-people with tourism. For example, United Arab Emirates, hundreds of thousands of Israelis visit Dubai every year, and that brings economic vitality to hotels, restaurants, and and other services. Then, of course, you have the business-to-business, which is a far larger dollar amount, and that includes agriculture, water, services, uh, defense, military, wow. everything you can you can think of. So it's a um, a massive win win for everyone in the region. Good work, Avi. That's really impressive. Iran now seems to be courting favor with some of these nations. Is that going to affect the Abraham Accords? That's a great question. Iran is a problem for everyone in the region and around the world, even those courting favor uh, with Iran. If you look at the recent deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran brokered by China, mm-hmm. it's not really a deal based on trust. It's a deal based on, it's almost like appeasement, which is appeasement never works in the long run. So I, th- I believe it's a short-term play as opposed to a long-term play. The days of the regime, I call them the Mullah regime, in Iran is is coming to an end very soon. There's a public uprising driven by women, in fact. Wow. Yeah. The Mullahs, you know, they're afraid of Israeli F-35s, but they're even more afraid of their own women. 
Well, I hope that you're right, and thank you for what you do there. Let's move on to real estate, because this is the Miller Report is a real estate show, but I am always interested in learning about people's other interests and understanding my guests, and I do a deep dive into the stuff that you do, and I know this is so important to you. But let's talk about Morton Williams and food. So, wow, 1,200 employees. Like, How many stores? We have 16 stores, 16 supermarkets, and we're building our 17th now on 68th and Broadway. Fabulous. Fabulous. So, do you remember I was calling you? I wanted toilet paper. I was afraid during the pandemic. I was like, Avi, should I get more toilet paper? And you laughed at me. I remember that. And we got many such calls. But now with what's going on in Ukraine and the shortage of grain, what do you think? Is this going to affect the grocery shoppers? Well, that's a great question, Suzanne. And your listeners, many of your listeners do shop in supermarkets and they see uh, what's been happening over the past year or two with very high inflation. Mm -hmm. And it's really hurt people across, across the United States. And much of that, much of that increase has been due to shortage of, of supplies. But the good news is that there are substitutes today, many more substitutes today than there were even a year ago. So if you look at the average spend in a supermarket, people are still spending approximately the same amount as they were spending a year ago, but they're substituting to less expensive items. For example, they'll buy poultry instead of red meat. You see this happening. We, we see it happening in a very big way. Wow. They're buying private label. We were at a food show just this past June, and Suzanne, literally, there were four times the amount of deals um, by, supply, by smaller suppliers around the United States than there were one year ago. The large national companies like Procter & Gamble, Kellogg's, Unilever, etc., have raised prices to such a degree that it's opened up possibility for smaller companies to step in. Once these large companies raise prices, they never lower the prices. You know, they'll have promotions to have sales, for example, but they will not lower the suggested retail price. So that allows others to step in and fill the void and consumers are benefiting from that today. But you said that it substitutes, how do you substitute grain? Well, it, you're right. But there's also, it's not just the uh, supply, it's also the transportation. Mm-hmm. Transportation, if you look at inflation today, a large part of inflation is due to higher transportation costs. So if you have locally sourced product, you cut down on on, the, on those transportation costs. But also some of the substitutions have nothing to do with grain. They have to do with, with other things that people are now interested in. For example, milk. A few years ago, if you went to a supermarket to buy milk, you'd look at 1%, 2% whole milk, etc. Today, you'll have all of those, but you'll have soy milk, almond milk, oat milk. Right. There's so many alternatives. Today. Are those less money? It, it depends, but it's a supply and demand issue. Mm-hmm. So if you have, if you look at end of the day, the, the answer is, is yes, the prices have stayed down. The price of milk has not gone up over the past but few eggs years. Have. Because, but, but eggs are now down. Okay. Uh, eggs are now down significantly, but that's primarily driven by the bird flu epidemic, which is now over. So consumers are finding some relief in, in the basic commodities, and they're able to substitute with private label. Private label has become even more important due to inflation. 
I have to say, Avi, and this is really from my heart, during the pandemic, I was so freaked out. I was wearing a ski helmet and a mask, afraid to get COVID. I lived on 51st and 1st, and Morton Williams was right there, and I would literally go, and those workers worked so hard. You stayed open. There was no shortage. Everybody was up. There's a lot of stress because a lot of stores were closed, and you stayed open, and you fed a lot of people, and you really, really helped me. So I have yeah. to say that on the air. I, I'd, li- I'd like to share a story with you yeah. uh, that's interesting. During, during the pandemic, New York City was isolated. We're in an island, Manhattan. And one day, every day we were fighting different fires. One day, the CDC announced that anyone, any truck driver or anyone making a delivery from outside of New York into Manhattan would then have to quarantine for a number of weeks. So suddenly, New York City was at the risk of not being able to get food. Can you imagine that? No, it's like Leningrad. And, and, and this is something that did not make the press, but it's something that business leaders, including myself and, and others, we used our resources and our connections, including political connections, to change that. So for example, I called a congresswoman that I'm, I'm close with from North Carolina, Virginia Fox, and she was friendly with Mike Pence. Mike Pence was running the day-to-day uh, COVID uh, preparations. And within 24 hours, we changed, we changed that requirement. Thank and, you. And they modified the requirement, allowing truck drivers to come in. They, they said, okay, truck drivers, you could come in, stay in the truck, and then the store personnel will, will, will unload. But had we not done that, New York would have been an even greater crisis. And half of our stores are open 24 hours a day. I remember. I would go at like 2 o'clock in the morning. You had every produce, you had everything. Because I was in the Hamptons, that's where I ran to, and the stores there didn't have anything. Yeah, so we have best help in the world. Um, you treat them well. And when I say us, I mean the New York City industry, which includes, of course, my, my friend John Katzmatidis, Lawrence yes. Christidis. The best. Uh, He's the when, best. When John's we, the best. When we said we're in this together, we literally were in this together. It's amazing. Helping the people of New well, York. Well, thank you all. But let's move on to something that's not as fun and really makes me want to cry because this city has been so good to me. And when I see all these people leaving and I see the crime and specifically, I want to ask you about what happens during the stores. How are you handling all the shoplifters? And that is a crime. It's a crime is an understatement. Mm-hmm. It's a exponential crime. And the crime is being driven directly by politicians, which is total insanity. The politicians in New York say down to the district attorney level, tell the police, do not arrest anyone who steals under a thousand dollars. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not a law. They say, do not arrest them because we will not prosecute them. So therefore police will not arrest you. So if you like that new Chanel, I don't know if you could buy a Chanel pocketbook for less than a thousand dollars. No. Okay. But perhaps like a very small Gucci, Uh, you walk into a store, you steal it. If it's less than a thousand dollars, you'll not get arrested. Now, when you think about the supermarket industry, it's far, far worse. Supermarket industry, people come in with bags. They go to the meat department, for example. As we said before, red meat's very expensive. They'll, they'll empty out our entire red meat department and It'll be less than a thousand dollars. Might be seven, eight hundred dollars. You can't do anything. We can't do anything. They'll take it. They'll and they'll sell it uptown to 
an organized crime syndicate oh, that then fuck. distributes it. So this this is the new New York, and it's it's awful. Last year, we had to hire more security guards, including off-duty New York but City police officers. What is the security officers. guard going to do if they, it's illegal for them to steal up to $1,000? Yeah, security guard, basically just a deterrent, but it's a very expensive deterrent. So last year, for example, we spent an extra million dollars on on security, which did very little. If you look at a typical New York City supermarket, say it has a dozen aisles, you can't have 12 security guards, one in each aisle, seeing what people are doing. And to add insult to injury, um, you know, Suzanne, you would think, oh, use technology, use cameras. New York City now wants to make it illegal to use cameras to stop thieves because it discriminates against minorities. Okay, I, I can't close my jaw. And what is the security guards even doing if they can't prosecute? Security guards simply a deterrent. So the thieves see that there's a security guard there and, and uh, they decide to go to another store. We've had situations where our employees have been injured by thieves. We have many of the thieves return. They do it over and over again. You're saying again. I could walk in right now in my nice white suit. I could just take a bag up to $999 and you won't do anything? We cannot do anything. The police will not even come to arrest you. So why would anybody pay for anything? New Yorkers are honest, good people. And this is a group of thieves um, that are doing this and they're really ruining it for everyone. And it's driven purely by ultra, it's not even liberal, liberal versus conservative. It's insane, insane politicians right. that think this is a good thing for society to, to allow thieves to steal. And I'll give you another example that's very disheartening. As you know, New York City has graciously opened its doors to uh, the new immigrants um, who have come in illegally into the United yeah, States. 35,000. Mm -hmm. Tens of thousands of them, putting them up in hotels and feeding them. But what most people don't know is these tens of thousands of people coming into, the, into New York are not allowed to work. I know. So the city is telling them, look, you have two options. Option number one is you can work illegally in the underground economy and get paid cash, or you could just go steal. You're allowed to steal. And this is what what's happening in New York now. So I would imagine you're going to probably shut your stores and everything will go to delivery and online. Why would you keep a store? How's your online business doing? So our, our online business has has grown tremendously, mm -hmm. uh, but our primary business is still still the supermarket. Uh, we have between two thousand and three thousand people a day walking into each and every one of our wow. supermarkets. So we provide. A, um, a real lifeline in, in the community. And it's also, interestingly, a supermarket is the one place in every neighborhood um, that's open to everyone. You could be a doorman. You could be a, a, a wealthy, retired person. You could be young, old. You could be anyone. The supermarket is the place you gather. It's almost like a community center. Maybe I should go there to look for a boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Avi, just tell us about how much money if you could quantitate it for us, you think you have lost since this new law of not prosecuting anybody that steals up to $1,000? Great question. I would say a large percentage of our profit, you know, talking about millions of dollars, has, has been lost every year. And as a result, we've been forced to raise prices. Of course. 
on on the people of New York. At the end of the day, every supermarket chain in in the world operates on what we call gross margin. And we look at gross margin, it's like a religion. We look at it on a weekly basis. And we constantly adjust pricing to ensure we have the proper gross margin. And you ask us, why Why do you need that? So for your listeners, I'll, I'll explain that. Gross margin is what's left over after you sell goods. And what is that money used for? The money is used to pay for payroll for your labor. And as you know, we have the 1,200 employees. It's used to pay for rent. And New York City has the highest rent in world for commercial space. We have one store on the Upper East Side. We pay over $3 million a year in rent. Hasn't the rent come down since the um, pandemic? Uh, There's so much vacancy. I would imagine now's a good time to negotiate. Yeah. So so normally when supermarkets sign uh, real estate deals, Mm -hmm. uh, they're typically... A typical supermarket deal is a 20-year fixed lease because the capital, the capital improvements are so high. So a 20-year lease with, with options. So a typical supermarket lease would be 30 years. And how many square feet is typical? Um, in New York City, probably about 12,000 feet. Okay. And, but as a result, um, if you're in the middle of a, um, of a lease and suddenly the pandemic hits and people flee the city. Right. Yeah, you could go to the landlord and ask for a, a relief. Sometimes you might get it, but more often than not, you cannot because the landlords also finance uh, their buildings and they're, uh, with their bank programs, they're unable to do that. You could do what a lot of people did. You could have given them back the keys, used your good guy clause and closed the doors like so many people did. We could have done that, and we do have good guy clauses in all of our stores, uh, but we did not do that because you're honorable, and we believe in New York. Uh, anyone who bets against New York City, I'd say that's a foolish bet. New York City always comes back. I love that. Thank you. New York has been fantastic to me as well. So, just speaking about commercial space right now, how do you see the glut of all this retail space being vacant affecting your business? You think you'll be able to get better rents? We open more stores. How do you see that? Yeah. So, so during during the COVID uh, pandemic, leases that were coming up at the time, uh, we renegotiated at, at better rates. Good. We opened a couple of new stores uh, during made deals during the COVID period at a lower lower than market rates, which are very beneficial to us and ultimately the consumer because we'll be able to sell, sell the product at, at, at a lower cost. Um, but when you look, Suzanne, when you look around the city, it's almost like a tale of multiple cities, depending on the neighborhood you go to. Right. Some neighborhoods are booming. Um, Upper East Side, Tribeca. Up, yeah, Upper East Side. Who would have thought? Upper East Side. Right. Like people are now, young people are moving to the Upper East Side right. because the rent is cheaper. Like who would who would have thought about it? It's safer. We think. It used to be you, you, you didn't move to the Upper East Side because that was like the rich people's territory, it wasn't cool, and right. now it wasn't cool. But now it's it's less expensive. So if you go up, for example, Third Avenue in the '60s um, during COVID, I'd say half of that area was was vacant. Now it's it's completely full. That's great. That's great. So it is coming back. So Avi, one more question before I end because we're going to wrap up soon, but. 
This is something that I talk about so much with so many of my guests, and we talk about it amongst people in my office. What do you think about the congestive pricing? Do you think that's going to affect the average person? Is it going to affect the trucks coming in? Is it going to cost us more to buy our food? What do you think of that? I think it's an absolute disaster. Me too. I mean, if you're if you're running the city of New York, mm-hmm. do you want to encourage people to come into New York or stay away from New York? What about the trucks? Who's going to pay for that? Okay, so we get, um, our typical supermarket gets 40 to 50 deliveries a day. (sighs) Now, not all of them are 18-wheeler trucks. Most of them are little vans from small mom-and-pop companies, like the guy who delivers the muffins or the bagels and, and, you know, the breads, things like that. These people will not want to deliver into the city. We've already gotten notices from a number of vendors telling us that due to the congestion pricing, they will no longer deliver to us. And then we also, Suzanne, we also have uh, supervisors who go around to our stores. So our supermarket chain is around, uh, mostly around Manhattan. And we have people like managerial type people who go around uh, to supervise right. the stores to ensure they won't come. The, the quality. No, they will come, but it'll it, it'll cost us a lot more. Meaning we'll have to raise we'll have to raise prices. So the three million for theft, another million for getting into the city. We're going to pay for all this. Avi, I'm going to wrap it up with my last question that I ask all my guests and try and be honest because it is WABC, but we have a lot of listeners. What do you think we need to do as New Yorkers to bring back this city to our glory days? That's a great question. Um, Suzanne, if you run for mayor, I think that would solve the problem. <laughs> no, you're deputy mayor. I'll vote, I'll vote for you, Avi Kainer. No, no well, seriously. No, seriously. Seriously, the bottom line is is leadership. The same way New York has has turned so negative in such a short period of time, it can turn positive in a very short period of time uh, with good leadership. I know Eric Adams, he's a great guy, but he's inhibited by these crazy laws like city council saying you can't use cameras to, to stop thieves because it discriminates against minorities. It's got to um, go viral. Where you have the district attorney saying, uh, telling the police, um, you're not allowed to arrest anyone stealing less than $1,000. The laws and regulations that are on the books are designed to attack businesses and taxpaying people, but not doing nothing about quality of life. I mean, as you see, you go around the city, you've got, you've got sidewalk sheds all over the city, um, you know, which supposedly are, are to help people. But it, it's obviously, you know, it's a big racket. It's, it's really uglified the city. Uh, you can't even see the sky when you walk down sidewalks. You have the e-bikes that, you know, and the scooters, they actually go down the wrong side of, of the road with their lights off at night and no one does anything. It's a quality of life situation and you could change all of that with good leadership. And everybody, this is what I stand at my soapbox and say, we all complain. I just said this on Sid in the morning. Everybody complains. Everybody wants quality of life, but most people left. So only 23% of people voted. If we want to change, we got to vote. And that's my message. And thank you, Avi Kaner, for coming on the Miller Report. This was so fascinating. I'm really sad to hear some stuff, but I'm very pleased with how much you do for the city. And thank you. And thank Morton Williams. And please download and subscribe to the Miller Report.
Thank you, Suzanne. Dear listeners, thank you for coming on my podcast. If you like what you're listening to, please download, subscribe, and share. Thank you so much. Bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.